again But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn You look back and it's all in the past I'm dwelling on the thoughts I cannot say to you If I don't say the words that maybe it's not true Good evening, welcome to a very happy NUFC matter tonight. Newcastle United haven't had to wait till November for the first victory. Uh, a wonderful 2 0 win, comprehensive professional performance by Eddie Howe's boys uh, to get the season off to a really good start. And um, Ben Lester, uh, we've just spoken before we came on air, two, two goals up, but uh, unfortunately for you guys, uh, Brentford made a fight of it in the second half and uh, managed to get a point. Uh, from from you uh, guys today, but um, still, it's a point on the board, Ben. Yeah, good evening, everyone. Great start for Newcastle. Mediocre beginning for Leicester. I think you take a point generally from the opening game if you're Leicester because of the instability at the club, but the manner in which it happened will feel a lot like a defeat, I think. That's my perspective. Anyway, 2-0 up, two good goals. Madison, Newcastle target with a kind of inviting in-swinging corner and Timothy Castagne scoring with his head. It was a really good header as well at the near post. And then the second goal was only 22 seconds into the second half. And you're in a position where you're thinking 2-0. I know many say dangerous lead in football, but you'd expect Leicester at home to see it out. And even though you'd want new signings, the sort of silver lining of not having any is that that, was pretty much the 11 from last season because not too many players in terms of Brendan Rodgers' selection headaches are up for debate. So picked a strong 11, a familiar 11 and an 11 that finished the season strong and to be 2-0 up and then not to close out the game is really, really disappointing. Wesley Fofana actually was probably Leicester's best defender over the 90 minutes, even though there's a question mark over whether that will be his last game for the football club, depending on what Chelsea bid. But just disappointing because what they did at home was sit back and invite pressure and eventually they got punished. And Brentford fully deserved their point. Just a shout out to Josh De Silva, really good equalising goal. And some fans may remember that he was out for the best part of 18 months with a horrible hip injury. And there was a period during that injury where his career was even in doubt. So even though I'm a Leicester fan, really good to see him back and scoring. And Brentford fully deserved a point. But from Newcastle's point of view, good win over Nottingham Forest. It was a stubborn display, I thought, by the visitors. Newcastle had to be patient. Shah with a wonder goal. Wilson with a death finish. And overall, unlike Leicester, I thought that Newcastle managed out the game well. And as you say, they've got a win one from one, quite the contrast to last season where they struggled in the first half of the season to get any points on the board. So momentum, seemingly, even though it's only one game, has continued from the back end of last season. Mm. Uh, as for Newcastle, a wonderful performance, I felt. Uh, look, Nottingham Forest aren't going to be uh, pulling up any trees uh, this year, I don't think. And uh, they've made a hell of a, you know, a change to the squad, brought in, you know, uh, in excess of 10, 11 players now. And it, it, it's um, it's going to cause a little bit of uncertainty, I guess, amongst their squad. But Newcastle, you know, it was it, the big decisions had to be made. And um, Eddie Howe didn't shy away from them. We discussed them last week, Ben, on the show. Uh, he went for Pope. Uh, ahead of Dubravka and the centre half pairing, um, you know, Fabian Cher was I think was was most people's choices. With one of the same men, it was who was going to partner him, and of course he went for Big Dan Burns. So, uh, what did you make of Newcastle's you know performance and those selections that he made? I think they could have been a little bit more clinical and on the front foot at times, but it's difficult because you're playing a newly promoted side. They've got momentum is more like a cup game when you draw a team like Nottingham Forest and a cup atmosphere as well at St James's Park and the visitors will have fed off that to some extent too so there's areas for improvement particularly in attack but Newcastle need to be a team if they're to finish in the top half of the Premier League that beat the sides that on paper are supposed to struggle, even though there's no easy games in the Premier League, but also win at times when they're not at their best. And I don't think it was a Newcastle United side at their very, very best. But if anything, that's a positive because when they are more free-flowing and they can score goals and kill games off, then they're going to find themselves flying. And that's what we saw in the back half of last season. So it feels to me like the kind of squad that can really hit a purple patch and will be very streaky. And that's exactly what, by the way, happened to Leicester when we won the Premier League 
in 2015, 2016. The momentum carried us through. We didn't pick up that many injuries. I think up front, they still need more. There's not a lot of depth. I know Callum Wilson scored and that's the plan and he's integral and is the focal point. But all it takes is for him to, over the course of a season, get a knock or tire or just stop scoring. And that's when you start kind of looking around. And I don't think it's the type of side that can rely on the output we saw from Bruno as a sort of semi-regular goal scorer in the back half of the season. It wouldn't remotely surprise me if his goal scoring tapers off, even as perversely his influence over the team grows from strength to strength. So I think that defensively very promising. Pope's a good signing. There's depth in the centre-back area. We all know what Trippier can do. The midfield is outstanding. If they add another midfielder or creative-minded player, even better. But first and foremost, they need a striker. And that was shown to some extent, not because of a criticism of Callum Wilson, but just generally the balance of the side in the attacking third and the manner in which they created a high volume of chances, I think is still an area of improvement. Luckily for Newcastle, Forrest, I don't think, had a shot on target. And there was that one block, of course, by Cher. Everyone speaks of the goal, but let's not forget how important the block was when Jesse Lingard had a decent opportunity. And even though we don't know what would have happened there, that was probably Forrest's best chance or the point at which they caused Newcastle the most danger. So the defence feels good, the midfield is promising, and the attack just needs a little bit more depth. But overall, I don't think you can ask for too much more because, as I said right at the beginning, you're up against a newly promoted side. It's a slightly different dynamic and occasion. And I think that Howe got the selection and the tactics right. And when you walk away with a 2-0 win and a clean sheet from the opening day, regardless of whether you could have scored three or four, or if there could have been more balance or chances created, it doesn't really matter. It's a win. And all you want from that opening game, because they're very atypical by nature, especially against newly promoted sides, is that three points with the clean sheet being a bonus. So I think it's sort of a eight out of 10 from Newcastle's point of view and obviously a three out of three as far as actual points are concerned. Yeah, OK. Uh, this is your show uh, in the chat. So if you've got any questions for me or Ben, then uh, fire them into the chat tonight. And uh, Jordi Tune for Life was first in, so we'll give him the honour. Uh, ben, can you see a resemblance that Howe is building at Newcastle with the team that Leicester won the league? Meaning no superstars, just very good, dedicated professionals, given absolutely everything for the manager and coaching staff and really appreciating the fans, war flags, etc. I'm not saying we'll win the league by any stretch, but... I see so much in common. Thanks in advance, he says. It's a good question. I mean, you've got war flags and we had the annoying clappers. So there's a noise comparison and there's a momentum comparison as well from one season to the next. And I suppose there's even an element of the instability. Newcastle's instability is kind of positive under new ownership and era, but there's still a lot of changes. Dan Ashworth has obviously come in as well. Leicester had instability in the off-season as well. But beyond the superficial, I don't see too much between the two teams in terms of direct comparisons. And one of the reasons for that is because Leicester walked into a season where for whatever reason, it was very competitive with a lot of the big teams dropping points. Whereas I think that Newcastle are starting a season where Manchester City and Liverpool will be in at worst the early 90s points wise and Leicester won the Premier League with a total of mid 80s. So if Newcastle replicate Leicester, then they would probably finish third or fourth, but certainly not go on to win the Premier League. But there is that momentum aspect. And when you have the momentum and the belief and the team spirit, which is definitely a comparison, and Newcastle maybe even more so than Leicester, then at that point, it can definitely help you to punch above your weight. And then if you have a decent window and Newcastle will probably move in January as well, in my opinion, after the World Cup, then the depth that they have coupled with that team spirit is going to put them potentially above sides that some would argue have got more depth or quality or value if you're talking simply statistically about ranking a player than Newcastle United. And that's where you look to exploit the fact that Manchester United are a mess at the moment. West Ham could easily be hit and miss. The likes of Leicester and Wolves that have kind of floated around the top half in previous seasons might well move backwards. And there's Newcastle's opportunity to be pushing towards that eighth 
or better. And better is going to be European football, whether that's Europa Conference League, Europa League, or even who knows, Champions League. So absolutely, Newcastle's aim will just be to fly off the momentum and keep everyone fit. And unlike last season, if you get off to a good start, that's where the momentum, as Leicester proved when we won the Premier League can really benefit you. Leicester headed into January and instead of fading after a good start, they were far enough into the season that there was a genuine belief because you can then take it game by game because instead of thinking, well, we're only five games in or 10 games in, we're never going to keep pace. You've got that kind of proven track record of beating Liverpool. People might remember at the King Power Stadium that Jamie Vardy wonder volley from about 40 yards out or the away win in the rain at Manchester City where Robert Huth, an unlikely goal scorer, somehow got a brace in the game. And at that point, you not only start saying, well, we've already taken points off the teams that are supposedly the best in the Premier League, but in addition to that, there's only 20 games left, 15 games left, 10 games left. So I think that Newcastle's official target will just be top half. And from a budgetary point of view, even though it doesn't sound particularly exciting, most sides set 10th or better because that's what you do your bottom lines on to make sure that from a business point of view, you're making money. And then if you get halfway through the season and you're better than 10th, then that's where you realign. And it wouldn't remotely surprise me if momentum helps Newcastle in that respect. So I still think it's a case of walking before Newcastle can run. But on paper, they're getting a bit of depth, particularly defensively. They've got that exciting midfield. So let's see what they do between now and the end of the window. But it's obviously a much more positive mood at the football club and a win on opening day can only help add to that unity and atmosphere. And I like the team photos, by the way, as well. I don't understand why on social media they're getting so much stick. The whole point of a football club's social media is to cater to their audience. And if you are Newcastle United Twitter with a predominant Newcastle United fan base, one of your main aims is to bring the fans as close to the football club as you possibly can. So show the team in the dressing room because the fans can't come into the dressing room. I just think that helps. And if they do a thread of 38 of them, win, lose or draw, then that's just a unique angle that shows the team spirit, that shows you players in a light where you don't normally see them. And that sort of takes the unity and the momentum and the camaraderie of the actual players, which is important for their success, into social spheres and directly to the fan base. And that helps as well, because we know how important the Newcastle fans are to the success of the football team. And if St James's Park is a fortress come the end of the season, I guarantee you that home form alone will have Newcastle United seventh or better. Yeah, I agree. Um, lots of comments coming in, lots of questions. Blue Rhythm Boy says, good management dropping Botman, having him uh, watch that atmosphere and get him chomping at the bit. Yeah, look, it was a big decision to make. And, um, you know, he did what he did with Bruno. He's going to clearly give him a bit of time to settle in, get adapted to it and give him some smoke, give him some run outs. And, you know, he'll get his opportunity. He'll have to take it. Uh, MB79 says, good evening, Stephen Ben. Great result yesterday and all around professional performance. Question for Ben, though, does he know if there's actually any truth in Newcastle going in for Benjamin Sesco? This is the story that's uh, doing the rounds today, Ben. It goes on that ever-growing list, and uh, Sesco, of course, would, would fit the bill, I think, as far as Newcastle fans are concerned. We just need to know, is there any truth in it? No truth as far as this summer. That's my understanding. Benjamin Sesco is a Manchester United target, Chelsea have held talks as well, but as I've said many times, clubs work multiple windows ahead, and Tesco may only be available in 2023. So sometimes an inquiry that excites the fan base is more due diligence than it is advanced or imminent. And that's the case as far as Newcastle United and Sesco are concerned. You never ignore a player of his age and quality. And remember that the Newcastle strategy, as proven with the failed bid for Hugo Ekatike, is to ideally buy young and support Callum Wilson and then bring the player through. But the challenge with Sesco is that he doesn't feel he's ready to move to the Premier League, not without regular game time. And then from Salzburg's point of view, they want to keep him for another year. So I see this playing out as him in all likelihood staying at Salzburg or potentially taking a step up within the Red Bull group to Leipzig. And there's been some talks as well. But Chelsea and Manchester United much further advanced in their inquiries to try and get him imminently. And they've struggled at the moment to make too much headway. And that's largely because the player's not made up his mind. So he's happy playing regularly and still young. And if he moved to Leipzig, probably still get 
a fair amount of game time, but a Manchester United or Chelsea or Newcastle move, and it might just be a year too early. And I think that the player is still considering the future, but Newcastle are not actively in the race at the moment. I think there was excitement from memory because someone saw the agent in Newcastle and maybe put two and two together a couple of weeks ago, but that agent's got a number of different players and Hey, why wouldn't he come to Newcastle? It's a great city to hang out or take business meetings in. The other thing, by the way, which is just a random interesting fact to give you a little hack about the transfer window is that everyone is aware when significant meetings take place before deals are advanced, that agents and executives will be seen. So often there are decoy locations, which means that if hypothetically you see the agent of Sesco in Newcastle, it might be because Manchester United have said, let's meet in Newcastle. And then they've got a decoy if they're photographed. And we see the opposite in Spain, where people like Joan Laporta, the Barcelona president, love the attention and they like to be seen in restaurants and they like to tip off the media as to what they may or may not do and create smoke screens. But it's a little bit different in the Premier League. So don't read too much into where you see an agent. Another good example of that is that Liverpool's most senior negotiators operate out of London. And again, they do that because it's an easier place sometimes to see a wide variety of agents who perhaps from Europe can get into Heathrow Airport or on the Eurostar a bit quicker. But again, it's a decoy tactic because if the agent's seen in London, you're not naturally going to say, oh, they're meeting Liverpool. But nine times out of 10, if Liverpool have a meeting, it's in London. So that's another little unknown thing about the window, but nothing too much at the moment, as I understand it anyway, between Newcastle and Benjamin Sesco, other than the fact that Dan Ashworth, like virtually every sporting director in the Premier League, is well aware that he's a top, top talent. Are Newcastle done in this window, says Beard? No, not even remotely. I mean, Newcastle want to, a creative-minded player like a James Madison, maybe a winger, maybe a number 10, maybe even an attacking midfielder that can kind of filter into wider areas. And then they obviously need a striker as well. So two buys or one buy and one loan, I think, will absolutely happen. We've just hit a lull in the window, which is normal because the season started. Managers like to see how their team pans out now. And they take a breather. They play between one and three games. And then we head into kind of the last two weeks or less of the window. And at that point, there's more movement because if you've been trying to negotiate with a club as time ticks, you can gain a bit more leverage because if the club do actually want to sell at the point the window ticks down, if you call the bluff of the club saying no, 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 and then revisit with an offer, then later on in the window, the club's no, no, no might become yes, yes, yes. And who knows if Fafana doesn't go to Chelsea, Newcastle could still just try that tactic with James Madison and just put a few million on their second offer, still 15, 20 million below what Leicester would like for the player. And that might be enough if Leicester genuinely have an urgency to sell. I don't think that particular deal will happen, but I just use it as an example. But I think that come what may, Newcastle will ramp up the efforts for a striker as their top priority. And we know from the interest in Paqueta from the bid for James Madison that they want some kind of creative-minded player that can weigh in with a, loosely speaking, equal number of goals and assists. So Newcastle are not done in the market. It won't be as dramatic and as spectacular, I don't think, as we saw in January. And their sensible spending approach will continue. But I think the plan from Newcastle's perspective is absolutely to bring in two more between now and when the window closes. OK, um, lots of questions, as always, coming in about uh, transfers. Pa uh, Stephen Parker, good evening, mate. Good to see you yesterday. Um, we've already discussed Sesco. Any news on Paqueta? Again, a few Newcastle fans this week thinking that the whole Madison thing is a bit of a, a smokescreen. Newcastle potentially trying to do business elsewhere. And the Madison uh, thing is, it's a bit of a, a red heron that Newcastle are playing. But, you know, is, is Paqueta, you know, still on the horizon, do you think? Sank is asking the same question. Lots of interest in Paqueta. Great player. Lots of offers from all across Europe. And there's a number of Premier League clubs that are, loosely speaking, circling. Newcastle are one of them. He was obviously on their radar as well in January. Manchester City could even make a late inquiry. Potentially, they've been monitoring the situation. And again, talking directly to the agent and Arsenal are another club that are 
loosely speaking interested. I would even term it a bit stronger than loosely, although Edu has said that they've not made an approach. But as I think I pretty consistently reported when coming on this show, none of these Premier League clubs have made an offer yet to Leon and Jean-Michel Olas is holding out for at least 65 million euros, which is what just over 50 million quid. And that will be a minimum price. So the reports that there's a cut price deal more around 30 to 35 million are totally incorrect. It's going to be a big fee and there is a high volume of suitors. And I'll repeat what I said before, that Jean-Michel Olas has said the player wants a fresh challenge and is open to offers. But John Textor, the new majority owner of Lyon, who is still incoming, has other ideas potentially because he sees Lyon as rivaling PSG and would prefer not to sell the player. But he doesn't really have a great deal of control. So there's sort of a three way internal politics between the new majority owner, Jean-Michel Olas, who's always been a tough negotiator and the player himself. But as yet, Newcastle haven't bid and nor have either Arsenal or Manchester City. Manchester City are the least advanced at this point. But let's see what happens, because obviously Bernardo Silva could still go to Barcelona. Manchester City might not quite be done in this market. Not that they really need anyone else. If anyone's watching the West Ham game, they've looked very, very good. And Haaland has obviously managed to break his Premier League duck and pretty quickly as well. So Manchester City, I think, are looking very, very strong. Haaland in particular will be full of goals. Alvarez and also Calvin Phillips, excellent signings. So where does Paqueta fit in there? Well, as a squad player, I suppose, and they have obviously got rid of Raheem Sterling as well. So you could argue that they could bring in one more. But I think that Newcastle will monitor the Paqueta situation. But if Paqueta is really pushing for a move, then the clubs that want him, Newcastle included, are trying to establish at this point where that move is to, whether by league or whether specifically by club. And keep an eye as well on West Ham, who could come into the mix. Keep an eye too on PSG, who want at least three more signings. And then towards the end of the window, it will almost be a case of these clubs trying to establish when they bid where the player's preference is. Because if they don't know where the player desperately wants to go, they might find themselves bidding big, getting into a bidding war, and then still finding that the player's holding out for another move. So I think that Newcastle to Paqueta is an option and one that is naturally going to be very well sold by Bruno because they're such close friends. But it wouldn't remotely surprise me if the player has Champions League football in mind and that is an influencing factor if he ends up leading, leaving this window. Uh, Colin says, hi, Ben. Is the Madison bid over and done with or is there still a flicker? A few other questions about uh, Madison. One from Davey. Does Ben believe Madison's genuinely wanting the Newcastle move or does he think it's nothing more than trying to get a better deal uh, with Leicester? And Life Goals uh, asks, Ben, do you prefer Madison or Barnes? <laughs> it's not a fair question. They're both quality. Madison is the better of the two statistically but Barnes has got sky high potential and Madison can be a bit inconsistent but not last season he was player of the season so right now I prefer Madison because he adds goals and assists and is the glue that holds the attacking phase together and the flair he brings and the set piece qualities but Barnes is so dynamic and explosive and is also a good finisher very unselfish so I think they both have an integral role within the football club. But Madison, for me, statistically, at the moment, if you could only pick one or other in the fantasy team, if you like, would be the one that I select. But Barnes is the kind of long-term one that Leicester will desperately want to keep hold of. And then with Newcastle and Madison, they've not come back after their second bid. They're miles apart in valuation at the moment because Leicester are playing hard ball. And as I've said many times, Leicester are not going to or highly, highly unlikely to let Fafana and Madison go in this particular window. Still no guarantees that either will be allowed to leave, but Chelsea are growing in confidence over Fafana. They know that he wants the move and Newcastle are still probably 15 million below Leicester's valuation and they've not come back in for more. And Eddie Howe's intimated that under financial fair play, it is going to hamper any kind of mass spending over the course of not just this window, but potentially the next couple of seasons as Newcastle kind of get their books in order. So I think it's unlikely at this stage, but again, you get towards the end of the window and 
you might find that Newcastle just try their luck with another 5 million or 10 million and see what happens, especially if they can't get in another attacking target, then they can accumulate budget that would have been allocated for two signings into one. And that's where you might decide to put all of your eggs in the Madison basket, if you like. So I don't think it is 100% dead in the water, but for now I would classify it as 90% dead. But Newcastle might choose to resurrect it, depending on what happens with other priorities between now and the end of the window. And that's just how this phase of the transfer window works. I can tell you that Eddie Howe really likes the player. And then the second part of the question was, does Madison want Newcastle? I think that he's happy at Leicester and his main aim would be to move again like Paqueta for Champions League football. But what Newcastle can offer just to sort of pique his interest, and this is why Brendan Rodgers spoke of both Madison and Fafana having, quote, voices in their head, is Newcastle's offer will be more lucrative and the potential of Newcastle, the camaraderie of Newcastle that he sees will all be of big appeal because Madison thrives off dressing rooms with personality. He thrives off attack-minded teams that play with no fear. He thrives off teams that give him the freedom to float around and get into the box at different angles and times without any restriction. And he would thrive in Eddie Howe's system. So I think that all of that says to him, yes. But at the same time, I think he feels that if he follows up Leicester last season with another player of the season style half of this season, then with those goals and assists and the stability of just remaining at Leicester and being integral and playing every week, doesn't have to worry about relocating new dressing room player style and so on. If he just carries on, is he creeping with bigger squads into any kind of World Cup selection? And that will go through his mind as well. And again, that's why if a Champions League club comes calling, he'll be thinking, does that boost his chances of the World Cup? And I'm not sure he's going to necessarily be there, but could he get into that conversation? And is there any way for him to make it to Qatar? And is Leicester the best place for that? And I think these are questions only he knows the answer to. And Gareth Southgate as well. But stability in a World Cup year when you're playing well can be very beneficial to any player. So right now, if I had to call it, at the time of recording, I'd say Madison stays at Leicester and Newcastle stand a tough, tough negotiation should they return to the table to agree a fee and even with a fee, agree a sale. But the window works in mysterious ways, so don't discount it entirely. But I do think that for now, anyway, Newcastle have moved on to other targets. OK, big shout out to our sponsor, Skips and Bins, telephone 0800 email inquiries at skipsandbins.com, website www.skipsandbins.com easy contract free and pays you go waste collection thanks to Darren Baldwin Funerals independent funeral directors you can find them at 304 Old Durham Road Gateshead and uh, telephone 0191 478 2730 and the website www.darrenbaldwinfunerals.co.uk you can email Darren directly at darren at darrenbaldwinfunerals.co.uk thanks to garden of healing dispensary cbd hemp and cannabinoid specialists www.thegohd.com and thanks to mr vicky's sources handmade in cumbria you can find their website at mrvickies.co.uk or give them a ring on 01768 210102 thanks also to away day clothing and to media arts for all the help with the video side of things thanks to qtechshop.co.uk the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in walls and newcastle and the guys who run our website nufcmatters.com if you want to subscribe hit the nufc matters logo in the bottom right hand corner and you can subscribe for free hit the thumb up to like the video and click share to share to your social media we're also available as a podcast on itunes spotify podbean and other podcast providers if you want to become a member, click join under the video or you can use your smartphone and go to this QR code. It'll take you straight to that part of the website. Uh, you can just go to nufcmatters.com and click membership. And uh, for your money, you get a scarf, a pen, a cup, a membership card and entry into the monthly draw. And if you're a subscriber, you are entitled to a free car window sticker. Just email john at nufcmatters.com to get yours today. And we do support the food bank, NUFC fans, foodbank.co.uk is the website to go to if you want to make a donation. Uh, and don't forget the guys and girls are outside the ground each match day 
uh, get yourself along there and make a donation if you can. Two tickets left for this intimate evening with Frank Clark and Gibbo, 5th of December. Go on to Time Out Surf Cafe's website and uh, get those final two tickets. And Peter Beardsley Soccer School uh, is into its second month and doing very, very well. For more information, go to Peter Beardsley Soccer School. Dot com And a big shout out to everybody who came along to the Dog and Parrot yesterday to see me and Malcolm. Always good to see uh, friends, uh, new and old. Uh, and uh, we will be there once again for the Manchester City game. Get yourself down there pre-match and post-match to uh, listen to Malcolm's pearls of wisdom. And uh, as usual, I'll be uploading those uh, onto the YouTube channel over the next uh, couple of hours for you to uh, enjoy and the Joe Linton shirt is up for grabs this week. I will post the link in the chat in a little minute and you can click on that and get yourself a chance of winning Joe Linton's signed shirt. Okay, back to the questions and as always, plenty coming in in the chat. Uh, Life Goal says, Ben, would you see Dubravka and 40 million as a solid deal for Madison? A lot of talk about Dubravka potentially being made as a, a bit of a make weight in this in this deal if it if it could come off. We know that Leicester need a goalkeeper. Debravka seems now as he's out of favour. He's number two at the moment. He's on the bench. What's your thoughts on that, Ben? I think Leicester won't entertain a swap deal. The same's for Fafana as well. So Callum Hudson Odoi is a player historically that Leicester have looked at, but as we see so many times, exactly the same with Mark Kukurea and Levi Colwell, when there's two players and there's a logical sense of sending one one way and the other goes the other way. Usually they're separate deals. So I think a swap deal is problematic. I don't think Leicester would take 40 million and Dubravka if they want Dubravka. They'd treat that as a separate deal. Or, of course, they'd take their 60 million for Madison and then they'd have money to go and buy whatever goalkeeper they thought fit. The other thing I'd point out as well is that everyone says Leicester need a goalkeeper, but there is Iverson and also Ward at the football club. And towards the back end of last season, it was strongly intimated that Ward would be the kind of integral replacement for Schmeichel. And even at a point in the last two games, when Leicester kind of had not too much to play for after they got themselves clear enough from the relegation zone to realise that they would be somewhere around mid-table, the plan was supposed to be for Danny Ward to play and a great deal of games, and for Schmeichel to slowly be phased out. And for whatever reason, that changed. But I think that Brendan Rodgers has entered this season really pretty content with Ward there as the number one. So then if you look at Dubravka, does he improve Ward? And again, Rodgers will have to answer that rather than me. But I think that Dubravka wants first-team football. Does he join Leicester as a number one? Or is there not much between Ward and Dubravka? And he's obviously not going to come to the football club as a number two or worse. So I don't think it makes a great deal of sense. I, contrary to some reports out there, have never heard of Leicester having a particularly strong interest in Dubravka anyway. And as I've already said, they're content for now with Ward as their number one goalkeeper. Let in two goals today, it was more through poor defending than bad goalkeeping. But... We'll wait and see how he does. And this, again, is why it's so key at this part of the window because you're actually playing competitive games. And if Leicester ship 10 goals in their first three games and you get to the last week of the window, who knows? They might come back and look at somebody like Dubravka. But for me, the notion of Dubravka plus 40 in a Madison deal is highly unlikely. And even Dubravka to Leicester doesn't make a ton of sense as far as I can work out, only because, as I say, Ward is the plan. Iverson is there too. So if they are going to bring in another goalkeeper, then poor Danny Ward has wasted a pre-season and right as the window shuts is going to be back at a number two and he's not going to be too happy about that. OK, uh, that answers that question. A journalistic question this time from Peter Robson. He says, uh, with so many sources claiming to be in the know, what is the process to vet said sources to make sure you don't have hypothetically, egg on your face when putting it to print. 
yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm lucky because predominantly as a broadcaster, you can kind of give the situation that everyone understands is live. And then it's not always there to haunt you over and over again on social media. It's a little bit different, but it's a great question. And the difference between an in the know and a journalist is that we're going to multiple sources. And when you publish, you're well aware by being in the industry and transfer windows that agents have agendas and so do buyers and sellers. So much like with the Newcastle takeover as well, you go to both sides. And if you get two conflicting sides, then you have to report with balance the different perspectives and permutations. And fans will sometimes say we're well, sitting on the fence. But if Newcastle tell me one thing on Madison and then Leicester say something to the contrary, there's very little that I can do other than give you the perspective from both sources. And some will say that's balance. That's my belief. Others will say sitting on the fence. Generally, a fan wants black and white and, and in the know that is kind of using gamesmanship to build a following on things like social media will take the nugget they find out and just roll with it. And then that is an extreme position and they're either going to be right or wrong. And when they're right, they celebrate. But you still have to dig a bit further. And Rafinha is a great example of that when he moved to Barcelona because there were reports out there saying Leeds have accepted a bid. Leeds have accepted a 40 million bid. Leeds have accepted a 50 million bid. It's happening today. It's happening tomorrow. And of course he joined. So then those that have said that can celebrate as if they were right all along. But it's simply not the reality of how the narrative played out. So what we try and do as journalists is ask multiple sources, develop relationships. 99% of the time, you're actually not asking for intel, because can you imagine if every sporting director or manager or player, they only ever hear from you when you're trying to get something out of them. It's really more about how you develop a personal relationship with them. So then when you need something, you can ask for it. But perhaps when they've got something, they're just going to bring it to you and it lands on your doorstep. But it's always important to be responsible. And sometimes responsible gets confused with sitting on the fence or not having any what people construe to be new information. But it's not always about being first. Sometimes it's about getting the full picture and just providing that insight, which doesn't get you any headlines in the same way that Angolo Kante at Leicester didn't always get headlines. There's unsung footballers and a lot of journalism is unsung as well because you're trying constantly to find that insight, to understand how the window works, who are the personalities at stake. And nothing about the transfer window is reliable anyway, so it's not egg on your face. If I tell you that Newcastle want Madison, then one minute before if hypothetically they were to sign Madison, any club can come in at any time and make a bid. It doesn't mean you were wrong. And a lot of people, I think, on social media, they read something that's old and they call you out on it instead of an appreciation that the narrative moves. Jules Kunde, great example of that, as we've now heard from Monchi at Sevilla. He was sold in inverted commas to Chelsea, but we all got hammered for reporting that. But it was right. And then with Rafinha, same thing. Everybody says, oh, the fee wasn't that high. It wasn't the same as Leeds. He was never close to Chelsea. And I don't know whether people saw an excellent interview with David Ornstein and Phil Hay at The Athletic with the Leeds owner. And what did he say? He said he was sold to Chelsea. I was ashamed not to sell him to Chelsea. And the deal from Barcelona was, quote, pretty much the same. And then if you flash back to my reporting, I think I was one of the first to say that an agreement had been reached. I got hammered for saying the price was the same as Chelsea's and Barcelona fans trolling me and even some <laughs> Chelsea fans trolling me. And you think to yourself, well, are you not listening retrospectively to the people directly from the football clubs telling you now on record how it happened? And then if you correlate that back to the reporting, that's the difference that an in the know who is sort of more games tends to be guesswork, but very extreme. And people like that, because if I come on this podcast now and just say, yeah, Newcastle are definitely signing Paqueta, then of course I'm going to gain a load of followers. And if it happens, I'm going to be a hero. And if it doesn't happen, then I'm going to get called a fraud. But if I take that extreme without doing the due diligence of the finesse of the window, then I'm essentially guessing and jumping to conclusions. And it's hard enough to be right, even with the due diligence, because of the games and the competing sources. But that's kind of one extreme. 
And then obviously you have a sort of middle ground where somebody is genuinely and in the know because they used to work for the club or because they know someone through their friends or their family. And that's a bit different, but it's still only one nugget. It's one side. And remember that clubs have narratives. So even though I'm not talking about Newcastle specifically, Chelsea is a good example of this. If you look at Mark Kukurea, and why the fee was 52.5 million, and then a day later, it was 62 million. If you're Brighton, you're saying, well, everybody was wrong. We hadn't agreed anything. Yeah, he's moved, but it was a 52 million fee to a 62 million fee. So Brighton will argue that's proof that they were right in their denial. And then from Chelsea's point of view, they will argue it was always 62 million, but they put it out there at 52 million. Why did they put it out there at 52 million? Because they want a narrative that the club's getting bargains. Otherwise, when they go for Wesley Fafana, they're the club that goes up 10 million a day in their offers. And with Fafana, they've bid 60, then they've bid over 70. Imagine if they now bid over 85. They'll get the player and it will be celebrated. But when they do their De Jong deal, potentially then people are going to come back to them as the seller and say, this is great. They're the club that goes up 10 million a day in their offers. So we're just going to keep rejecting and rejecting and rejecting and trying our luck. Let's see how high they go. So this is why there's so much confusion. And fees are always disputed. Contracts are always disputed. Narratives are always disputed. Rejected bids often get denied by both the buyer and the seller. So it's a tricky landscape to navigate as a journalist. But once again, the difference between a in the know that wants social media followers and a journalist is that we are trying always to go to all sides. And then once we've got all sides, we're trying to report. And sometimes it's clear cut. And sometimes the balance appears like you're giving all the context, but not an opinion. But it's not my job to tell you if I think Newcastle will or won't sign Paqueta. It's my job to tell you that Newcastle have made an inquiry or haven't, or Newcastle are the suitor or one of many suitors, or Newcastle are confident or not confident. And the in the nose tend to take all of that and then say, because they're confident, because they've made an inquiry, it will happen. And that's risky and irresponsible because 99 times out of 100, you don't actually know if a transfer is going to happen until the very last few days or the last few hours. Regardless of what you read, regardless of what's reported, things can change at the very, very last minute and they do regularly. So that's where I think journalists are slightly more balanced and responsible because we make the effort to try and go to all sources, not just one source. Mm, interesting there. Uh, the financial flair play uh, situation is always coming up. Um, I'm not going to do that this week, Ben, but I think maybe next week, let's do that show that we talked about on financial fair play. Try and make a bit more sense of it because Barry's question is about Chelsea. And um, I think if we look at it generally, not just about Newcastle, obviously we'll include Newcastle, but let's, let's maybe do that next Sunday have a chat about financial fair yep, play. So I'll have, a, I'll have a look into it. You have a look into it and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll exchange notes on air. I think it's a good <laughs> idea. Um, is Diaby out the window, says Life, Go- uh, Life Goals? Well, Diaby is an interesting one because he said publicly that he doesn't want to leave Leverkusen and Leverkusen don't want to sell and the fee will be, broadly speaking, 45 to 50 million up front, maybe actually a fraction less and then around 10 million in add-ons. I've always been told pretty consistently that they want around 55 million quid all in and Newcastle have been interested in the past, but it's gone cold. And then suddenly out of nowhere, it's become apparent that maybe Arsenal are going to try and persuade Leverkusen to sell. I'm not so sure at this stage, if I'm honest, Diaby someone that I've also linked with Arsenal earlier in the window as a name on a shortlist, but nothing actually developed when he was mentioned in relation to Arsenal. And even though it may be one to watch because Arsenal fans perhaps feel like a mystery winger could be incoming. Again, I see no evidence at this point talking to sources that Arsenal have advanced that. And it's actually exactly the same for Newcastle as well. But Newcastle, I think, backed off Diaby because it was intimated to them that it was quite a high price and the player wanted to stay. So it'd be interesting now to see whether any other Premier League interest warps that situation and makes the player look back towards the Premier League. And that's where you think of Newcastle and perhaps hijack territory where they could revisit the player, especially if they fail to get other winger-like targets. At the moment, nothing 
between Derby and Newcastle. So again, one to watch simply because of the historical interest, but nothing to get excited about at this point. Uh, and Paolo Butters of FC Michigan is a target. Is that is that potential as well? Have you heard of that one? Don't know too much about Butters, if I'm absolutely honest, certainly not in relation to Newcastle specifically. I think that with the Newcastle approach at the moment, first and foremost, they're actually looking at forwards rather than wingers. And the Madison thing kind of derailed it a little bit. And the reason for that was because they just saw the opportunism to maybe try and bring in Madison specifically. And that was at the sort of request of Eddie Howe. It wouldn't remotely surprise me if having failed to get Madison, the focus turns its tension all the way back to the striker role. But yeah, I don't know too much, not made any inquiries about that specific player so what i'll do is i'll go away and i will come back to you if there is any information yeah uh interesting to see that uh, manchester united about a 7.6 million pound bid for marco anotovic uh, knocked back today uh, so manchester united still keen to bring players in after their 2-1 defeat at old traffic today to brighton leicester of course as we discussed earlier drew 2-2 against brentford and manchester city well I uh, don't think anyone will be uh, stopping that juggernaut this season, especially with the acquisition of Haaland, uh, a comprehensive uh, display and a 2-0 win away to West Ham. Uh, OK, last couple of uh, questions. Um, let's go for something a little bit different. Chris Collins, has any chat on Cody, Ben? Um, not at NUFC now, but most fans were talking about him uh, not that long ago. It appears he could be looking for a move. Sounds like he's going to Everton, doesn't it? Yeah, Everton are very confident. They're in advanced discussions. And from their perspective, they think it's just a matter of time before he joins. So it'd be very surprising if Newcastle hijacked that bid. I think there's excitement because Cody's on record as saying that St. James's Park is his favourite ground to visit and play at. And he's always been wowed by the atmosphere. But I don't see too much chance unless Newcastle end up making an incredible hijack. And I'm not aware that that's within their plans because Everton think that deal is all but done. Yeah, I mean, I know Connor Cody quite well. Met him numerous occasions when he came to the game. He was very good friends with with Rafa's agent, Owen Brown. Um, I think uh, Richard Green and, and Owen actually uh, looked after him back in those days. And uh, yeah, I think if Rafa had been manager, I think Cody could have become a Newcastle player if things had been a bit different. But that's not going to happen now. And I think we're... Uh, more than spoiled for choice with centre-halves. Barry Hogan uh, asking plenty of questions tonight. Finally got one I can put to Ben. Uh, Goncalo Guedes, uh, I'm, uh, he says, uh, any, any rumours in this? A lot of people talking about him as well. Yeah, the feeling is that the big bid that was referenced from Valencia, which is going to see him move to a Premier League club, is actually from Wolves. And Wolves are progressing this very fast to try and ward off other suitors and my sources around Wolves seem to be pretty confident that they're going to be able to get the player in and for a medical pretty imminently so it looks like Wolves are the front runners here I know there has been some talk of Arsenal as well that was reported by Sport that they may be in contention but my own sources are more leaning towards it being a move to Wolves. And then from Newcastle's point of view, I've certainly seen the reports out there that say they've made a kind of 11th hour bid for the player. But as I say, a little bit like Cody to Everton, Wolves feel like they're closing in on this. So first and foremost, if any of the other clubs I've mentioned are to enter the race, they're going to have to move fast. And then second of all, the fee is going to be just over 27 million and that I think is actually very good value for a player that's 25 years of age and has a huge amount of potential capped over 30 times for Portugal I was actually really impressed with him as well even though he didn't play too often when he had his spell 2017-18 I believe it was at PSG and I saw quite a bit of him when I was either over there watching training sessions as well or 
games for the under 23s and then he played a handful of times for the first team as well but I like what I've seen of the player he was very good for Valencia last season so what he's added to his game really is the finishing he was always the type of player at Valencia when he joined from PSG originally on a loan spell that could chip in with five six goals that kind of thing but he doubled that tally last season I think that he got 13 goals in all competitions and 11 of them playing in La Liga as well and he's got a believe a few more caps in 2022 for Portugal as well I think he actually won more in 2021 than 2022 but his form is good and as I say he's much more composed and clinical in front of goal now than he was a couple of years ago so I can understand why Newcastle would be interested but they're going to have to be very very quick if they're to hijack this deal because as things currently stand it's looking the most likely that he will head to Wolves. Okay. Um, Roger says, Ben, I've seen a Spanish keeper linked to Leicester. Any news in that? Not seen too much, to be honest. Um, I've been travelling and I haven't seen too much as far as links with Leicester and goalkeepers. As we said before with Dubravka, when you look at Leicester's lineup at the moment and you take Iverson and Ward, that still might be enough. So if you want to put the name in the chat of who the goalkeeper is, then if I know anything, I'll tell you, but I've not seen anything linking a Spanish keeper uh, to Leicester in the last 24 hours. Okay. And lots of people asking questions about strikers. Justin wants to know, of all the strikers we've been linked with, who is the most likely to come to Newcastle, either permanent or loan? Well, DCL, Dominic Calvert-Lewin has obviously now got an injury. That one is uh, not not likely. Is there anybody else on the radar? Do you think it's a conversation that was doing the rounds in the pub yesterday, I think, um, in, in the pubs that I was in anyway, which was, you know, Callum Wilson is the striker at the club. But it looks as if they've been trying to sign a young player who can who's not necessarily going to have his nose pushed out if he's going to be playing second fiddle at Callum Wilson. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that, the strategy was always to get like a wonder kid, hence Ekatika, as we spoke about before. And then from there, kind of slowly integrate them into the first team with a view to the long term. And that is still the ideal. But if you don't get that, then are more short term firepower options needed with proven Premier League experience, which is obviously then when you start looking at Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I know that fans seem to be against an Ivan Tony return, but not a bad shout in my opinion either. But it just depends what falls under the Howe and Dan Ashworth strategy. And they really do want to buy young. And then in the context of that, that's when you come back again to Amanda Broyer, who came off the bench for Chelsea and looked okay, probably had more of an impact in the short spell than Kai Havertz. So Chelsea fans like Broya and a West Ham bid has already been ignored or rejected, depending on which way you look at it. But this is kind of where Chelsea's business might help Newcastle later in the window. Because Broya at the moment is basically saying he's scored six Premier League goals for Southampton, doesn't want to go on loan again. So he wants to be part of the squad and involved regularly, or he wants to leave on a permanent move. And when West Ham made the offer before they brought in Skamaka, Broya was driving that because it ticked a lot of boxes for him. But now he's had a conversation with Thomas Tuchel, and he thinks that he has a bit more clarity. If Chelsea add another attacker or two, particularly a direct signing in his position, that could be someone like an Aubameyang, potentially a focal point, a goal scorer, then he's down the pecking order once again. And at that point, is he going to be prepared to be loaned out and then Newcastle come into the equation or even bought? And the fact that West Ham have got Skamaka, they could still revisit Broyer as well. That's what West Ham sources have always said, but it might benefit Newcastle as well. So you've sort of loosely speaking got Newcastle, West Ham, historically anyway, and Everton looking at Broya, and then to a lesser extent, but they've made inquiries, Leicester and Leeds United, who also need a striker. Leeds are actually in quite a similar position to Newcastle because they're over-reliant on Bamford and they want 
a young talent too. And they're looking at Callum Wendo at PSG for around 25 million if PSG are prepared to sell. And we wait and see on that. So I think that Broya is still a possibility. And if Broya suddenly decides he wants to go on loan, perfect from Newcastle's point of view, particularly if they can have an option to buy negotiated into that deal. If Broyer ends up being a permanent deal, and these are big ifs because at the moment he is happy at Chelsea, but if he becomes a permanent deal, you'd have to find 30 to 35 million. And then let's see whether Newcastle move or whether actually they're only interested in Broyer when he's available and alone to begin with. But he would be a good signing for Newcastle. And then Dominic Calvert-Lewin, as you say, was very much on their radar. Uh, they called on him a little bit immediately after they didn't get Hugo Ekatike. And um, perhaps moving at that point would have been wise because since then he's picked up this freak knee injury. And now, unfortunately, in this window, he's off the table. But keep watching, Broya. It's not unthinkable that Newcastle will move between now and when the window shuts. Yes, yeah, I, I would agree. Okay, last question. Well, I did like this one. Yano says, uh, Ben and Steve, apart from your own team's results, which results give you the most pleasure? <laughs> I'm torn between the Manchester United, Man U, and Villa results. Um, I've got to be honest, Man United is always the one that I uh, take a, a bit of delight in when I see them coming a cropper. And today was a, was a good day. I never like to say seeing a team loses it fills me with pleasure. Uh, there's a empathy with any football fan, especially Manchester United ones at the moment. And Maguire was excellent at Leicester as a character and as a defender and even a goal scorer at times. So I don't like seeing him booed. And I think it's unfair on Ten Hag, what he's inherited at that football club. Of course, we all make a joke about it and we have some glee in it. But I like seeing football clubs win or lose with passion. So it's the response to a loss that I enjoy when it's positive. And then it's the celebration of a win, which is why I like Newcastle doing well, because you see the fan base react with that passion and positivity now under the new ownership group. And that is in stark contrast, obviously, to under Mike Ashley. And it's the same for Chelsea as well. Really excited to see how they progress under new ownership. Excellent new owners at Chelsea. Can't fault their ambition. And they're trying to spend big in the market. So I really enjoy their success. And Liverpool's always one that I like too, simply because I've been friendly with a number of executives at Liverpool for many, many years, even before they joined Liverpool. They're American-led which from CBS's point of view means they get a fair amount of coverage, good club, good fans, and a good model. And then in terms of teams that I like seeing fail very loosely, and to reiterate, I don't like seeing any team fail because I've got a lot of empathy for every football fan. But I suppose from the perspective of the Premier League, I have to say Forrest, don't I, is the main rival <laughs> of my team, Leicester City. But I'm sort of torn because... I want them to do okay. I want us to thrash them and take glee in that, but then for them to do okay, because you want the derbies. I don't know whether Newcastle fans agree. I'd love to hear in the chat, but if I was a Newcastle fan, I'd want Sunderland in the Premier League. I'd want to have the derby days. I'd want to have that buzz around the city. And then I'd want to thrash them and embarrass them, but then them to stay up by one point and then to thrash them and embarrass them again, rather than seeing them fade so far from where Newcastle are and even obviously Middlesbrough not in the Premier League that you don't get that derby and I think as a football fan I can only speak for myself I want the derby I want to see Leicester at elite level play derby play Nottingham Forest even got a bit of a rivalry with kind of Coventry and Villa and Wolves to some extent but not as much I want the derby so if I was a Newcastle fan maybe I'm in the minority I would want Sunderland in the Premier League. And then the only caveat to that is that if they're there, I would want to put five or more goals past them every week. <laughs> Great question, uh, Yano. And he, uh, you got a good answer. That, that's for certain. you got a Ben Jacobs special there. Uh, <laughs> that's it. The clock has beaten us, Ben. Uh, thanks very much once again for coming on. Don't forget, folks, I'm having a few days off to spend a bit of time with the family. Uh, but there's plenty of pre-recorded shows to come. 
problem with those is you need to come on at six o'clock. Uh, notifications tend not to work uh, unless you go live on a stream. So um, check out the uh, the list uh, of programs that are all set up there. Um, some great shows coming up this week. I've got uh, a couple of things which you, you won't have heard either. Um, many years ago when Newcastle United had the Toongate scenario with Douglas Hall and uh, Freddie Shepard, uh, they only gave one interview um, and it was to me. Uh, so I'm making that public tomorrow, uh, the actual recording for the first time on the channel. So you'll be able to listen to Douglas Hall and Freddie Shepard try to explain um, all of that Toongate situation. Uh, it had been published in a newspaper back in the day, so um, it has been out there, but it's never been heard. So uh, that's a little exclusive for people on NUFC Matters tomorrow. And um, we've got Those Were The Days, uh, of course, pre-recorded with George. Um, I've got Lee Clark on a little bit later in the week uh, with his Newcastle United uh, dream team. He substitutes and he's manager. Uh, and then we've got a, 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 something a bit different. John Gibson, the journalist, uh, going down memory lane uh, musically. Uh, John covered Newcastle United and boxing in the region for many, many years. Uh, but most of you won't know uh, that he's met a lot of very famous people in music. Uh, so tune in on Thursday for that. And then Friday, I am back with the three amigos. Uh, two hours, of course, with your favourite show. But um, great to see you, Ben. Uh, and we'll do financial fair play next week. So we'll both get our uh, our noses in the books and uh, we'll have a good chat about that next week, mate. And uh, take care. Thanks for coming on, mate. Look forward to it. Have a good week, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you.